Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au Uh, Revelation chapter 1, the Bible says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. I mean, if it was near for John, how much nearer is it for us? John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and is to come, and from the seven spirits before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye shall see him. Even those who pierced him and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And so, Father, we just thank you as we go to your word. Just pray that there would be a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we would see what you see in this word. Guide us and lead us, Lord God, by your Spirit. Father, let there be nothing in me that hinders the delivery of this Word. Let there be a sense of faith as we receive your Word. Bind every spirit of fear and intimidation. Just thank you, Father, that your gifts are going to be in operation this morning, even as I share. And I thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I want to begin a new series, a risky series, entitled The Revelation. Um, We're going to look at the book of Revelation. If there's a book in the Bible that has stirred more curiosity, controversy, more confusion uh, in Christian circles, it's the book of Revelation. Some people love it and they spend all their time in the book of Revelation. The most of us avoid it. We avoid it as much as possible because we're kind of no idea what John was kind of saying in, in, in a lot of those chapters. The main theme of the book of Revelation is that one day Jesus is coming back. Can I hear an amen? This morning as I was driving to church, there was this big rainbow in front of me, a beautiful, colorful rainbow that reminds us that one day Jesus is coming back again. It's a prophetic book that speaks about what's going to happen when Jesus comes Again, and he's going to come to defeat evil and establish his kingdom. Bible says, for God so, key verse in all of the Bible, all the Bible wrapped up in one verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting eternal life in the name of Jesus. The book of Revelation tells us what that everlasting life is going to look like. Whenever we study the book of Revelation, automatically raises a couple of really interesting questions. Who is the Antichrist? What is the mark of the beast? What is the exact sequence of events that are going to happen in the last days? And the big question, the really big one, is when is the end going to come? It's not a new question because the disciples were even asking Jesus when Jesus began to speak about end times. And they said to him, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus said to them, 
No one knows about the day, nor the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father, just in case they didn't get it. Four times he tells them, no one knows the time. No one knows the time. No one knows the time. It was pretty clear, I think, if you read it in Matthew chapter 24, that no one really knows the time. But that hasn't stopped people speculating about when the end will come. Edgar Weisenart wrote a book in 1987 called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. His thought behind the book was, although Jesus said no one knows the day or the hour, he doesn't say the month or the year. (laughs) People have always been fascinated by the return of Christ and when Jesus would return. Abo of Flory wrote this in 996 AD, over a thousand years ago. He said, as soon as the number of 1,000 years shall come, the Antichrist will come. And not long after that, last judgment will follow. Um, Another guy, that was a thousand years ago. He was already predicting that. Here's what William Miller said, and I think some of us would agree with him. Desolating earthquakes, sweeping fires, distressing poverty, famines and wars and strange weather patterns, financial instability in many parts of the world and political disruption and widespread immorality, which abounds in these last days, obviously indicate that the return of our Lord is certainly going to be in our lifetime. And he wrote that in 1843. Not only has there been speculation about the return of Christ, many of us would say, well, that's our time, isn't it? I mean, many of us would go, that's exactly what's happening right now in our time. Not only has there been plenty of speculation about the return of Christ, there's been a little bit of speculation about when the Antichrist has come. That is, that is the world leader, the dictator that's going to rule in the end of time. And so there's been plenty of speculation about who the Antichrist would be. Henry Kissinger was on top of the list many years ago. John F. Kennedy... Ronald Reagan was, was a favorite for a while. A lot of money was, people were putting a lot of money on him. Uh, his middle name was Wilson. Uh, and uh, the reason why they reckon he was the one, because if you count the letters in all three of his names, it's Ronald Wilson Reagan. It's 666. There you go. That's the key. Uh, Gorbachev, of course, was, was a favorite as well. For those of you, you, some of you younger ones might not know who Gorbachev was. He was the president of the USSR and uh, he had a birthmark on his, on his forehead. Those of you that remember, he was definitely going to be the Antichrist. That's why he was a favorite. Of course, more recent favorite is Donald Trump. He's up there on the list. Uh, definitely. It's the hairstyle, I think. My all-time favorite, my all-time favorite speculation about who the Antichrist is, is Elvis Presley. He's left the building. He's left the building, but he will be back. He will be back. Eugene Peterson, in his book, Reverse Thunder, that speaks about the book of Revelation, says this, there is much in St. John that is puzzling. We need intelligent and wise guides who will accompany us through the often daunting terrain of St. John's text without serious mishap. Unfortunately, while there are wise teachers available, they often get missed because there are so many more around who are simply foolish and who, like pushy guides at a tourist site, try to get us to hire them to tell us all about the furniture of heaven and the temperature of hell. The number of the beast and the calendar of doomsday. G.K. Chesterton once remarked that though the Apostle John the Evangelist saw many strange monsters in his vision, he saw no creature so wild as one of his own commentators in our time. There are at least four reasons why I believe we should study the book of Revelation. Uh, one of them uh, reasons is because, and you can write this down in your notes, is because it's in the Bible. <laughs> uh, if it's in the Bible, it's there for a reason. 
Bible says all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's, there's so much for us to learn from the entire Bible, and that includes the book of Revelation. And, and I think that there is so much truth. I've been one of those that's kind of avoided the book of Revelation at all cost. And, and, uh, and I don't know, I've just been thinking about this over recent times, and we're going to give this a shot, all right? So I don't know how many weeks for, but uh, we're certainly going to give it a shot. Uh, the second reason why we should study this book is because we will be blessed if we read it. As we read in our text, verse 3 says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. It's not just hear it, it's not just read it aloud, but take to heart what is actually written in this book. Because the time is near. John is saying that if we read these words, we're going to be blessed. Blessed is the word for joy. Um, if, if we read these words, if we understand what the book of Revelation is saying, uh, the Bible says it, 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 we will be blessed. It will change the way we live our life. The psalmist said um, uh, that the wise, the wise person actually counts the number of days that they're going to live. Um, the, the, the Bible says that in, in back, back, in, back in the Psalms. It says the wise person actually counts uh, the number of days that they're going to live. Because if we, if we start to live with eternity in mind, we will live differently. If we get an understanding and a revelation of eternity, we will live our lives differently. So much of how we live our life is based on the here and now. It's based on what's, what's, what's temporal, what's earthy, and we, very few of us ever think about eternity. John says, blessed is the person who reads this, who understands it, who hears the book of Revelation, because it's going to change the way you live your life for the better, not for the worse. Third reason why we should look at Revelation is because of the times we're living in. We're going to find out that, that we're living in a time that is not a lot different to the time that John was writing in, to the people that he was writing to. And the words of Revelation speak to us as much as they did to the early church back then. One final reason is because Revelation is a book of hope and serves also as a warning. It reminds us that one day Jesus will return to vindicate the righteous and judge the wicked. Um, Revelation serves us as a, as, as a warning uh, that there is such a thing as a heaven and a hell. And although we don't like to talk about that in church, it's a reality. Jesus said, so you also must be ready because of the Son of Man will come at any hour when you do not. Expect him to come. He could even come back today. Can I hear an amen? Anybody would say, yes, that's wonderful. Come back, Lord Jesus. Amen. So in order to understand the book of Revelation, we need to understand how to study the Bible. And this morning, it's going to be a little bit inspirational, but we're going to kind of, it's going to be a little bit of Bible study. I hope, I hope that's okay with, with some of you. Um, and in terms of how we study the Bible, the, the, what, what this is called, it's called hermeneutics. Hermeneutics deals with how we interpret the Bible. Whenever communication happens, there's usually a gap between what the sender says and what the hearer hears. Come on, how many people know that's true? How many couples and friends have had an argument because what was said and what was meant and what was heard and what was understood was completely different? Amen? Can I hear an amen? Yeah. Uh, reminds me uh, of a story of a guy who was driving through the countryside on a beautiful day in his convertible. 
was riding through the countryside, enjoying the sun, turns a corner and there coming towards him is a guy who was swerving lanes, speeding like crazy, swerving from one lane to the other lane, driving recklessly. As he passes him, he shouts out, pig, uh, to which the guy that was driving recklessly quickly shouts out, idiot. You know, and he, was, he thought he was doing really well because he got that in just at the right second so he would hear him. Uh, as this guy that was driving recklessly turns the corner, there in the middle of the road is a pig. And uh, he hits the pig uh, and destroys his car. Um, I think the pig was annihilated, couldn't even make sausages or anything with them. But anyway, um, so he thought the guy was calling him a pig uh, when he was actually warning him that there was a pig on the road. Misinterpretation, communication. In a conversation... You can actually clarify what you said. No, but I didn't mean that. What I meant was this. Uh, No, but you said this. No, but what I meant was this. But when it comes to Scripture, uh, John's not here. And so the misunderstanding is even more possible than ever before. So to understand the book of John or the book of Revelation, we need to ask ourselves a few questions. Um, And these are just the beginning of some questions. There's probably a whole bunch that we need to ask, but these are just three that came to my mind. Uh, Who was John writing to? Uh, Why was he writing to them? And how was he writing to them? Three questions that I think are going to help us to go through the book of Revelation. I want to look at these questions and then I'm going to bring it all together by looking at a familiar passage, a favorite passage of... uh, Most people, when it comes to uh, the book of Revelation, we're going to look at the mark of the beast. And I'm going to reveal that to you this morning. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Come on. It's going to be amazing. All right. So who was John writing to? Who was John writing to? Well, the first question we need to consider is the kind of people that John was actually writing to. Now, the verse 4 tells us he was writing to the seven churches in the province of Asia. But as we read the book of John, especially the first few chapters, it gives us some insight into the fact that the churches that he was writing to, the people that he was writing to, were actually going through a really difficult time. John was writing to a group of people who were experiencing incredible uh, persecution, who were discouraged, whose very life was being threatened. And this was now about 60 years after Jesus' ascension. And the people of God were experiencing persecution under a guy called Emperor Domitian. And before him, it was Nero. And Nero was a crazy, a crazy dude. He lit up uh, uh, Rome, I think it was. He burned it with fire. And uh, he blamed the Christians for doing that. And so Christians were being persecuted in a, in a terrible way. Was started out as a church that was on fire for God um, and had seen God uh, do some amazing things way back there in the book of Acts. 60 years later, the church is still on the run. And while they knew that God was in control, at this particular time, it didn't feel like God was in control. It felt like Rome was actually in control. Church was being persecuted for their faith. They were losing their homes, some their very lives. I mean, we, we talk about Jesus being crucified as, 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 as if this was something isolated. Actually, it was something the Romans did on a regular basis. Anybody that was a criminal or anybody that they didn't like, the Christians in particular, crucifixion was a normal way that they would, uh, that they would kill them. Hebrews 11 gives us some insight into what was happening with the Christians at this particular time. 
Hebrews 11.36 says this, Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatkins, uh, goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. Imagine what the Christians, the early church was thinking at this time. Imagine that their faith was getting actually quite weak. They were getting tired, maybe even losing hope and wondering, is all of this real? Wondering if all of this Christianity thing that they've put their faith in is actually real. Who was, who was John writing to? He was writing to the persecuted church. Why was he writing to them? Revelation begins with the words, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. The word revelation is the Greek word apocalypsis, from which we get a lot of the apocalyptic um, movies and so on and so on. But it actually means to uncover, to unveil or to reveal. Whatever you think the book of Revelation is, and a lot of commentaries and a lot of books have been written on this book. The book of Revelation was written to unveil or reveal Jesus to a group of people whose faith was threatened and who were going through a really difficult time who were being persecuted. To a group of people who were losing hope. And John is writing to them and he's encouraging them and telling them, hang in there. Don't give up hope. Uh, Jesus is coming back. I know how all of this ends. Jesus wins. So hang in there. Don't give up. The doctrine of the second coming is so important to us as a church. The fact that Jesus is coming back one day is a doctrine that is crucial to the church today. While there's a sense that we know Jesus is coming back, there's a sense also that we believe that, it, 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 we, we believe that it may never happen. We live our lives as if eternity is never going to happen. Doctrine of the second coming is essential to our faith. Jesus said this to the disciples. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will be back again and receive you to myself. That where I am, you also may be. It's a central doctrine of the Christian faith and one that we need to be reminded of as the church of Jesus Christ. Listen to the old hymns and every hymn finished off with a verse that was speaking about the return of Jesus Christ. It was, a, it was a reminder to the church that no matter what we're going through right now, no matter what's happening in our lives right now, we need to be reminded that one day Jesus shall return and he will make everything right. Think about the early church. Many of them were present when the church was birthed in the book of Acts. Can you imagine what they were going through right there in the book of Acts? Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came that first time. They saw miracles. They saw, they saw thousands of people saved. Peter gets up, he preaches a sermon, 3,000 people get saved. Can you imagine what the Christians were thinking at that very time? They thought, this is amazing. This is amazing what's happening. Can, can you imagine what they thought? Well, who knows what's going to happen in a week, in a month, in, a, in six months' time? They saw the glory and the power of God manifest. Now, 60 years later, 60 years after the church was birthed way back there in the book of Acts, here they are, a church on the run. What they believed was that God was in control, but it looked like Rome was. So, so John writes to them and he begins to encourage them. He says, I know it seems like Rome is in control right now. Feels like you want to give up. 
But be encouraged. Because I was on the Isle of Patmos and while I was there, God began to speak to me and He showed me what was to come. And I've, I've seen how all of this ends. Be, be, be encouraged, church. Because I've, I've seen, I, I, I saw, I had a vision of what was to come and I, and I saw where all of this ends up. We end up winning. So hang in there. Don't give up. I know you feel like giving up, but don't. How many of us, as we look at the world we're living in today, it looks like the world is winning. We know that God is all-powerful. We know that God is in control. We know that, that He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. But right now it seems like Rome or the world system or the anti-Christian way of thinking, the anti-biblical philosophy, the anger towards the Christian faith, it seems to be winning. How many of us know that, about that to be true? Certainly in Australia, the media never speaks favorably about the church. As we look at the media today, they're never saying, oh, look at what the church is doing. How good is the church? Any chance they get, they will put down the church and make fun of what the church is doing. It, it astounds me how, how the media always finds that one crazy guy somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, they do a whole story on them trying to get us to change the way we think and how we perceive the church and the God and his word. Times we can get discouraged and feel like this is all too hard. It's in these times that we need a revelation of Jesus Christ. We need to get a greater understanding of who Jesus is, that he is like a lion. That he is seated on the throne, that he is all powerful, almighty. And some of us may, may not have Rome in, in the world, so to speak, but there's something that looks like Rome in our own lives where something in our own lives seems greater and bigger and, and stronger than all of us. And it feels like, where is God? And John writes to us, and John wants to encourage you and me today. And he wants to say to us, hey, listen, I've, I've seen how this all ends. I know that God is seated on the throne, and he will see us through, and we will win in the end. So hang in there. Don't give up hope. There is a day of reckoning coming. When God is going to make everything right. And we will dwell with the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. So be encouraged, church. One third thing we need to understand of how Revelation, is how Revelation was written. It's important to understand the genre that this book was written in. It's true of any reading. We don't read poetry in a textbook in the same way. Purpose of poetry is not to inform, it's not to give information, but kind of to paint a picture that describes a reality. Look at how Solomon writes poetry to his bride. This is Songs of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 2. Be encouraged. He says to his bride, Your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of an artist's hands. That's not bad. It just seems to go get worse from here. I mean, it starts off not bad, but then it just gets worse. Don't recommend husbands you use this to just kind of write to your wife. Your navel is a rounded goblet <laughs> that never lacks blended wine. How big was that navel? <laughs> your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are the pools of Heshbon by the gate of Bath Rabin. Your no he this is when he hits rock bottom. Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon looking toward Damascus. <laughs> Husbands, do not write that to your wives. It's, it's, gonna, it's not going to go good for you. That's poetry, all right? He wasn't saying literally, 
I hope not. I hope she didn't have a nose like that because that's a pretty big nose. But it's not literally. He's trying to paint a picture that I'm sure meant something back then. We need to understand that Revelation was written in apocalyptic genre. Apocalyptic genre is a type of Jewish literature that uses symbolic imagery to communicate truth. And while it doesn't make a lot of sense to us that are reading this some 2,000 years later, a lot of those images actually made sense to the people that were actually reading it. There is more Old Testament in the book of Revelation than in any other book in the New Testament. There are over 300 references to the Old Testament. And John was using images and symbols to paint a picture of deeper truth. All right, so three things that we need to understand as we kind of look at the book of Revelation, who he was writing to, why he was writing to them, and then the genre that was being written in. So let me use some of these principles to look at a familiar passage of Scripture, the mark of the beast, all right? Revelation 13 says, It also forced all people, that is the Antichrist, great and small, the dictator, the world leader that will come somewhere down the end, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This cause for wisdom, let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, that number is 666. Essence of this passage is that when the Antichrist comes, he's going to force all people to take a number, and he's going to that number's either going to be put on their hands or on their forehead. And if they don't have that number, they're not going to be able to buy and sell. And that number is six, six, six. I told Joe this week I had to get my whippersnipper fixed, and I was thinking about this series, you know. And the guy goes to me, uh, he goes, uh, uh, so that'll be sixty-six dollars sixty. He goes. Hey, for real? $66.60. So could you do something else? Just add a dollar or add 10 cents to it, make a $66.70, you know, do something. Six. I didn't want to take the whippersnipper home. I thought this is evil, you know. Um, speculation about the mark of the beast being around for many, many years. Some thought it was the visa card. When the visa card first came out, oh, don't get the visa. People were adding up the numbers. You know, that's 666. Some thought it was the barcodes on products. Anybody ever remember that? Whole books written about the barcodes. There's three lines, one in the one end, one in the middle, one on the... You check it out next time. I think the old barcodes were like that. Anyway, that was the 666. Uh, it's the beginning of the Antichrist. Uh, then, of course, when the internet first came out, uh, you know, that the, the internet is the Antichrist. Beware of the... It's WWW. What does the WWW stand for? Of course, it stands for 666. <laughs> Don't ask me how. Um, of course, the more recent speculations, which has a bit more credibility, is about the microchip. The famous microchip. That when the Antichrist comes, everyone's going to need to get a microchip. And if you don't get the microchip, uh, which is the mark of the beast, you're not going to be able to buy anything. Uh, so whatever you do, don't get the microchip, all right? Because that's going to be really bad. Well, my dog has already been microchipped. Uh, Theodore. He's a pagan. I always knew he was a pagan. We're praying that he's going to get saved in the name of Jesus. Now, all this might be true, and I'm not going to dispute whether it is or isn't because, well, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a probable theory. question we need to ask ourselves is what did the early church understand when they read this text? When they first read this text, Revelation 13, what did they understand by this passage of Scripture? Did they say, oh, this isn't for us. This is for the church in 2019. They're going to understand what this is really all about. Or did they understand clearly what this passage was saying? 
Remember, the early church had the Old Testament, and it turns out that there's a similar passage in the Old Testament. Listen to what it says. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and you'll see another passage, another couple of passages in Exodus. Here's what it says. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. This is the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. What did God mean when he said that? Was God saying literally tie them around your hands and on your forehead? Like maybe they were going to be a lucky charm. You know, if you, if you tie them on your hands and tie them on your foreheads, you're going to be protected in some way. Why the forehead? Why the hands? The forehead speaks about our thinking. The hands speak about our actions. What God was saying is make sure to obey these commandments. Make sure that these commandments are first and foremost in your hearts because these commandments are going to affect how you think and how you behave. Go over to the early church, and here was Rome, trying to impose its system of belief on the early church. It was trying to get Christians to change how they thought, how they behaved, abandon Christ, worship Caesar. And if they stood up to the system, what was going to happen to them? They were punished severely. Now, I don't know if there's a literal antichrist going to come. One thing I know for sure is that the spirit of the antichrist is already here today. Can I hear an amen? amen? We live in a world today that is trying to influence how we think and how we behave. There's a very real pressure on the church to conform to the world's way of thinking. How many people know this is true? As Christians, we're being challenged to abandon our faith, to not believe in the Bible to say there is no God, to say that the principles of Scripture are outdated. And if we publicly declare what we believe, it can influence how we live our lives. How many people know that's true? We're living in an age today that if we don't agree with certain views, we won't get invited to the tennis. We can lose our jobs for quoting Scripture. We won't be allowed to get on certain boards because of our faith. And we will even be dragged through the courts for standing up for what we believe. That's not 2,000 years ago. That's not in 2,000 years time. That's today, the age we are living in today. There's a very real pressure in the world for us as Christians to change what? How we think and how we behave. Interesting thing about the church is here we are looking for barcodes and microchips. And meanwhile, we are being boiled like a frog. Meanwhile, our thinking is changing to such an extent where not even the church believes the Bible is the Word of God anymore. Where once upon a time, 40, 50 years ago, you asked someone, do you believe the Bible is the Word of God? People said, we believe it fully. We're living in an age today where the church no longer believes the Bible is the inspired Word of God. Where our actions and how we live, our faith has completely changed. Paul says to the Romans, listen carefully because you'll see this theme come up again and again through the letters of Paul. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. That's speaking about how we live our lives. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed how? By the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve. What God's will is, is good, pleasing and perfect will. Here we are preaching a message that says, make sure you don't get the microchip. In the meantime, the world is influencing how we think and how we behave. 
John's time, when people refused the mark of the beast, they were crucified. They were killed. They were sawn in two. They were sent on the Isle of Patmos. Listen, church, every time we stand for truth, listen really carefully, church, because there's a very real pressure on us, just like there was in the early church, to conform to the world system. Every time we decide to stand for truth, every time we refuse to lie, every time we choose to live by biblical principles, we are saying, I'm not going to take the mark of the beast. I'm not going to let the world system influence how I think and how I behave. I don't care what the cost is. John was saying to this group of people, and he's saying to us, don't let the world seduce you. Don't cave into the system. Don't let the world shape your thinking. It wants to mark you. It wants to mark how you think. It wants to mark what you do. As Christians, the only person we want to be marked by is the Lord Jesus Christ. We want Christ to influence how we think and how we behave. So grab a hold of those commandments. Make sure they're in your heart because if they're in your heart, they're going to affect how you think and how you behave. Why is this New Testament survey that we're doing next week so important? Because this is the most biblically illiterate generation that has ever lived. We just don't know our Bible. Why do, we, why do we do this as a church? We're always looking for new ways to get more of the Bible inside of us. And here's a powerful opportunity. Because if we can get God's word into our hearts, it's going to affect the way we think and how we behave. And how we need that today more than ever before. John says, book of Revelation reminds us, book of Revelation reminds us that Jesus is coming again to defeat evil, to make things right. Some people might ask, well, why should we believe in the Bible? It's just pie in the sky. Every religion has a version of eternity as part of their story. Why believe the prophecies of the Bible? John says this, grace and peace to you from here who is and who was and who is to come. From the seven spirits before the throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood. Who's He speaking about? He's speaking about Jesus. And made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve His God and Father. To Him be glory and power forever and ever. And amen. Look, He is coming with the clouds. Speaking of the second coming of Jesus. And every eye shall see Him. Even those who pierced Him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of Him. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. Who was and is and who is to come. Almighty. Fact is that Jesus died and three days later rose from the dead. It's not just a fable, it's a historical fact. And communion reminds us that Jesus died and he rose from the dead and that he is coming again. He is coming to take his church. Paul says, For whoever, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim. The Lord's death until He comes. Why was Revelation written? Above all else, Revelation was written to give us a greater revelation of who Jesus is and what Jesus wants to do in our lives and what Jesus will do at the coming of age. I pray as we look at this book, Revelation, as we pick certain parts out of it and pray that we will get a greater revelation of who Jesus is. And that's what communion is all about. 
pointing us back to Jesus Christ. We're going to sing a song and we're going to distribute the emblems. I want you to hold them.